This week on Thinking Biblically, I welcome back Avner Bosky to give us an update on the war in Israel. This is Thinking Biblically. My name is Alan Gilman. Thinking Biblically is a podcast dedicated to exploring how all of Scripture speaks to all of life. Before I introduce my guest, I would like to remind everyone, if you haven't done so already, to please subscribe. Also be sure to like, share, and review. You could also leave comments in in the comments section below, and later on I'll give you my contact information as well as that of my guests if you want to contact us with any of your comments or questions. Well, a couple of months ago, Avner Bosky was here from Israel to discuss what had recently happened uh, with the Hamas terrorist attack on Israel. And it turns out that's been, should I say sadly, my most popular podcast to date. Well, Avner is back. It's two months later. And uh, I asked him if he'd be willing to do an update, which obviously he was willing to do. And so let's go to that interview now. Abner Bosky is back to give us an update on the war in Israel. He was last here almost two months ago, just a few days after the horrific terror attack by Hamas on October the 7th in the very region of the country where Abner and his wife Rachel live. Abner's originally from Montreal, Canada. He and Rachel emigrated to Israel about 40 years ago and have lived in Beersheba in the south of the country for the last 20 years or so. Avner is a teacher, writer, and musician who seeks to provide a biblically-based and insightful, balanced view of God's heart for Israel in the Middle East. His books include Israel, The Key to World Revival, and Jews, Arabs, and the Middle East, A Messianic Perspective, which I highly recommend as a primer to help you understand the complex dynamics of the current conflict. Avner, again, let me thank you for being here. It's so good to be with you. So... Here we are, uh, we're recording this on Sunday, December the 3rd, it's day 58 of the war. Now when we talked, I believe it was the the 9th, I think the 9th or the 10th of October, it's a few days after uh, what's become known as uh, Black Sabbath. Um, Did you think things would unfold the way they have? Well, you know, by the way, I, I was a rocker for many years, and I never listened to Black Sabbath, um, but that's for different reasons. I stopped listening to Led Zeppelin, and that's for different reasons, too, but then they stopped being a band, but that's a different issue. Your question about Black Sabbath, did I think it would go on as far as this? Is that what you were asking? I was well, thinking of the, I was thinking of the wordplay, and I forgot your question. <laughs> that's, that's fine. Um, that makes me feel better. Uh, so there we were. It was the worst day uh, in Jewish history since uh, worst single day since the Holocaust. Uh, everything changed. Uh, the the world changed. As I think you'd agree in, in any ways. Uh, and we were as we were talking before, a lot of the things were already below the surface, but they came to the surface surface in a very a very terrible way that day. And we. We knew Israel was going to do something decisive. They already, I remember they were talking about this is going to be a long war. It's not going to be a a quick solution. Uh, I don't know if you spent much time thinking about how this might go, but did you think we would be here almost two months after this whole thing began? Yeah, I'm not not surprised at all. The history of what's been going on, uh, and it's hard to understand. Many of us, for instance, in Canada, we'd think of maybe... What is this like? Is this like the French and the English? 
Is it like the FLQ mm -hmm. putting bombs in mailboxes in Montreal? Is it like uh, uh, Trudeau Sr. becoming Prime Minister of Canada and then it's all going to be all right? Or then if not him, then maybe Brian Mulroney or, you know, Jean Chrétien or whatever the issue is. It's not like that. It's not something so, you know, where we all stop for sugaring off and go out to eat pea soup together. It's not like that at all. This is a very, very heavy thing. And we're dealing with something that actually is no accident. It didn't catch God by surprise. He actually talks about it. For anyone who wants to, for instance, open up Ezekiel 25, and you'll see descriptions which deal exactly with what we're dealing with now and point in the direction of where we're going to be going, which will be a shock to many people, but it's not a shock to God. Uh, we have had uh, basically uh, over 100 years war. I know in one time in Germany, they used the term 100 years war, 30 years war, etc. But we, um, we have not had a situation where the Jewish people have returned to their own land. And that's what Ezekiel 37 says twice. It's their own land. It's not the Palestinian land. It's not Arab land. It's their own land. That's at least what God thinks if his opinion is worth anything. And so we come back to our land, and then you have at the same time uh, the outbreak of nationalism, of course in Europe, the previous century, but now in the Arab world, and then you have all the colonialist powers, Britain, France, uh, Italy, Germany, trying to get a piece of the Middle Eastern pie, which is soaked in oil. And what happens is by the 20s and 30s, you get this blend of fascism, with jihadism and it's come to fruit since the 30s 40s uh and again there's a whole history to that whole thing but what's been happening is you have um a resurgence or a renaissance or a reformation in islam and what they're saying is we're going back to the glory days and for them the glory days are not Unitarian Islam. It's not like everybody's going to eat baklava and be happy. This is a situation of saying, we're going to go back to being a force to be reckoned with who's going to take over the world. Uh, think communism in the 20s and 30s and 40s. That's how they see Islam. And of course, for the Jewish people to defeat Islamic armies of even up to 21 Arab countries, uh, together, which happened in 1973, is a tremendous shame for the jihadi mentality because Islam means submission. It doesn't mean peace. Salam, it means submission in Arabic. And so the concept of submission, how can the world end up submitting to us if we're losing to these heretics? These did Jews. you just say did you say salam in Arabic doesn't it's not the uh Arabic version of Shalom from in Hebrew? No, Salam in Arabic is, but Islam is not. Oh, right. Okay. So Salam does mean peace. Yes, it does. And Salami is a totally different issue as we, well. Be careful. That Watch it, Avner. <laughs> back, back to the Battle of Salamis between the Greeks and the Persians, where they cut their fleet in pieces like Salami tactics, Salamis tactics. That's a different historical allusion there. But as far as the, uh, the issue of uh, having to defeat the Jewish people, this has become uh, a big thing again. And when you say again, so um, jih jih uh, jihadi approach to life, 
and and maybe it's a good time to talk about it now, just in terms of the the heart of Islam, even from the beginning. You know, what really is Islam? So are is what we're seeing, is it a is it a extreme faction or is it the heart of Islamic ideology going all the way back to Muhammad? Can we even talk sure. about that sort of thing? Sure. To exegete the context into which we're speaking, we're speaking into a nearly post-Christian society. We're not talking about what Canada used to be. We're talking about what Canada is today. And today, people basically don't go to church and they don't believe the gospel. That's just the way it is. So if they don't, probably the Muslims don't too. First big mistake. Those Muslims who come over who want to live a, a kind of a secular life, that is like going to a Unitarian church and expecting to meet evangelicals. It's not the same thing. Okay? And so you have uh, today in the Middle East, you have people who actually do not believe in uh, uh, exposing Islam to critical analysis, the Quran to source criticism. Uh, they don't believe in any of the types of things you'll find in most uh, liberal, uh, liberal, liberal seminaries or universities. They believe that the Quran, as it stands, has to be obeyed totally. Like the Houthis today, we're hearing about the Houthis in Yemen whose motto is, God is greater, Allahu Akbar, death to Israel, death to America. It's a, a mild, you know, kind of perspective. So this okay, let is... Me, let, me, can I, let me stop you there, because I think yeah. I think some of the viewers, listeners might get a little confused, because I might yes. be. Um, so you were just alluding to how people in North America, and, and uh, not just Canadians watch this, um, that... A lot of people in North America view the Middle East, they'll view Islam through the, the lens of our, our own experience here, whereby religion, uh, be it Judaism, be it Christianity, has been under a lot of scrutiny for a long, long time, and you have all sorts of different kind of flavors of people who, who, um, who, who relate to religion in the Western world, um, and are you saying the Islamic world does not think that way. It does not think that way. Now, is that true here in North America, in England, in the West, you know, Western countries, as in the Middle it's East? Statement, or how general the, could you be talking sure. about this? There's a statement in the Quran and the Hadith, which are the two sources of uh, Islamic jurisprudence. One is like a Talmud, that's the Hadith, and the other is the Quran, which is more like the Bible, but they both carry equal weight. And basically, they say when you're in a situation as Muslims in a country of those who are opposed to the message of Islam, then you need to talk more gently, more peaceably. And you can even do something called taqiyya. Now, taqiyya is something which is more no known in the Shiite or Iranian world, but it's actually throughout Islam. And that is you can dissimulate for the purpose of protecting your own life or, or waiting for more opportune times to be able to have an Islamic putsch. And so the issue of what do Muslims say when they come to the West is a totally different issue from what Muslims are going to say on Al Jazeera in Arabic. And again, if you could understand Arabic and English and listen to the two different Al Jazeera stations, you're going to get worlds apart message. And that's because, again, it's like we Jews know something about this. If the Gentiles are angry at us, that we try to keep a low profile, right? 
That's the same kind of concept. The thing is, Jews are not interested in having world revolution, whereas in Islam, that's the whole point of it. It's the establishment of the caliphate uh, by giving everyone the dawah, the choice to accept. And then if they don't accept Islam, then you have the choice of being beheaded, being enslaved, uh, or being uh, or, or or accepting Islam. Those are your three choices. So, okay, so we we were talking about your expectations of what was yes. going to happen. So we're two months yeah. down the road. Yes, sir. We've had fifteen wars with Hamas. Okay, fifteen wars with Hamas uh, in particular. In particular, and every time we get close to defeating them, we get pressure from the West, uh, our big friends south of the border who help us, but they also then give us such a bear hug, we can't move our hands. We're talking about uh, us Canadians here south of the us border, Canadians. Americans? I, to the Canadians, I become as a Canadian, but I'm already a Canadian. Um, and so what's happening, basically, is every time we've gotten close to defeating, uh, we have not been allowed to. We've had, what do they say, victory snatched from the jaws of defeat, uh, or, or I think it's backwards, as they say it. <laughs> And uh, so that's kind of like what's happening right now. John Bolton, who uh, used to be the ambassador to the UN, just came out yesterday with a statement that America is putting such pressure on Israel so that Israel can't win the war. And if Israel can't win the war, that means the jihadi forces are stronger and they're going to end up coming to uh, America and Canada with more strength. And so it is a worldwide issue. So the the, the point behind this, as you're asking about uh, the war, uh, we and I have had great grief about this because it's not that Israel can't win these wars. But what we have is, again, we have a terror group attacking Israeli civilians from an area which is civilian. They're hiding behind their own civilians. How do we lower casualties so that there'll be less need for humanitarian aid? Very simply, stop shooting at us. Stop killing us. If you don't do that, we have to go in and we have to take you out. And if you're hiding among your people, it makes it harder, but we'll still find you. That's the situation going on right now. So uh, we have had leadership, uh, you know, and everybody has different leaders at different times. Book of Daniel talks about it. I think Mary's song talks about it, and Elizabeth as well, that God raises up and brings down leaders. So we've had leaders. And some of our leaders have been pressured uh, for various reasons, some good, some bad, to not uh, honor the defensive needs of our own country. And what's happened is the attack here was so horrific, so brutal. You're talking about mass rapes and, and ripping limbs off people and, and repeated raping people to death. And, and and burning people alive, just things that you would not expect to hear. Uh, it has created such a revulsion and an anger in Israel. Then you have, of course, people from the UN saying, and the Pope saying, you know, oh, we suggest you don't do anything out of vengeance. God does things in the Bible out of vengeance. He's called the God of vengeance. And we've got sometimes this pietistic thing in some streams of Protestantism where we 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 kind of neuter God, we castrate him, and we say he's not a warrior, he doesn't take vengeance, he never gets angry, and then he he's not bothered by our sins either. And that's kind of where we are in the the body of Messiah in much of the West. 
And so here's Israel coming back, according to prophecy, surrounded by enemies who want to kill us. And we're saying, in this case, we have to do something, you know, and if we don't do it, it's our blood which is going to get spilled. So that's why, again, people can give us advice, but if they're going to press us, they may turn from being polite um, people to, to enemies. Yeah, so it, originally there was all this uh, wonderful sentiment coming from uh, President Biden. He went to Israel, he's hugging Netanyahu, and and I, I'm hearing how the Israelis themselves were so touched by his visit and the sentiments and all the rest. And now we're hearing uh, about this this pressure going on. You, you, you know, it's 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 gone on too long. It's too many casualties. You got to stop. You got to do more. You got to be more careful. And we're back again at, at the normal. Uh, you know, we we let you loose a little bit to, to go teach them a lesson, go spank them, that sort of thing. And but you just spank them enough. Now come back, even though you still have hostages there and you're still under threat and they're still sending rockets. Do, do you understand anything of the dynamic of why were they so supportive at the beginning and now they seem to be putting so much pressure on? Well, if we go back to 1945, I think you can see similarities. When the uh, uh, concentration camps, the murder camps were discovered, uh, and again, people knew about these from 42, 43. Uh, I just did a whole research on the issue of America and Canada and their responses in 44 when there was incontrovertible proof. But when everything was being filmed by the U.S. and British forces in Germany and and, in Poland, and people saw this on the newsreels in theaters, there was such a revulsion and a shock. It was like, oh, anti-Semitism, well, we all may feel that way, but we don't want to murder a whole people, do we? They were not Hamas, of course. And what happened is there was then a feeling of, oh, we've overplayed our hand. I, I think we need to do something for the Jews. Let's allow them a shrunken state cut into about five or six pieces. And that's kind of what happened in 1948. But within a very short time, uh, you know, name the superpower, whether it be Russia or America, the whole the whole intent of superpowers is not really to represent Israel. They represent their own in, their own interests. And Machiavelli talked about, you know, Politics is war by another means. And so what we have is we have, uh, you know, Canada is, a, is, a, is, you know, second or third in row after America and Russia. Uh, and all Canadians know that. We just say we have things like Neil Young and maple syrup. But as far as uh, the issues of these big superpowers, that's a Canadian joke I just made. But anyway, um, hold on just one second. I have to... Yeah. Uh, Tell my son that he can't talk to me on this phone at this point. He doesn't know that I'm on a on a thing here. Um, on this global global reach podcast. Yes, indeed. Speaking biblically with Alan Gilman. Yes, indeed. Yeah, you could tell him later. So, yes, sir. Yeah, he'll understand. I think what what's happened is that on one hand, America likes the connection with Israel for, for many issues. Israel has given America huge amounts of military information. Uh, uh, we, we test all the products uh, and we share intelligence. But as far as what really goes and controls and decides, it's not uh, 
the sympathy of evangelicals, which is great in America for Israel. It's issues of the State Department, the oil industry, and the intelligence community. And they're not friendly to Israel at all. That's just the way it is. And I understand that. Do we expect non-believers to act like believers? No. Do we expect the uh, uh, quasi-allies of Israel to really fall in love with Israel? No. Yeah, but well, Israel still yeah, so Israel every still country, every country actually, it's all about self-interest and whatever. Right. Uh, but there's right. a, you know, with, with the United States and the large Jewish population there, which is also coming from the political voices, you don't know how much they're kowtowing just to a, a voter block and 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 some uh, some of these things, um, but it would. You know, so anyway, you know, I think Alan, you, half, half the the Jewish population in America is no longer that supportive of Israel. They're they've been cowed, and they're becoming more woke and more uh, leaning toward uh, supporting uh, Palestinian uh, terror. You see this in the demonstrations. You have various groups whose names I forget at this point who are marching against Israel who are advocating in the Congress against Israel. This is like, who would have thought? But people, uh, 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 this is where we are. And that's despite the, the, the demon of anti-Semitism being unleashed, that uh, as we were talking before we, we started, uh, yeah. this is not simply about concern over, over the state of Israel and the relationship to Palestinians. We saw almost immediately uh, such vile Jew hatred. And it was, let's kill the Jews, let's gas the Jews, let's F the Jews. And this is when it's supposed to, oh, no, we love Jews. It's just Zionists we hate. Yeah, well, that's not what the marchers did. No, no. Uh, so we, is, there, is, there, is there a shorter long-term solution? We know there's a long-term solution. Is, where do you think this is going to go? Well, you know, uh, there's just an excellent article written by a, a lady named uh, Mayan Hoffman in the Jerusalem Post, uh, analyzing the latest Palestinian surveys, which came out of Ramallah. So done by Palestinians about Palestinians, 75 to 78 percent of the Palestinians, depending if you're saying Gaza or West Bank, are totally in favor of what Hamas did on this pogrom in October 7th. So that's Palestinian Authority and Hamas, both of them feel that way we need and so to let, and that really has to sink in uh and that also the uh, um the thing about the the innocent palestinians um and there are some and there are some there are some for sure for sure you know they say about communism believes in free elections one man one vote one time and <laughs> so that's kind of what happened in 2005 six with uh, the carter commission jimmy carter they had uh uh, a vote, Hamas got in overwhelmingly, and then Hamas began to murder all the people from the Palestinian Authority because they hate each other. And uh, prior to that, the Palestinian Authority had been murdering Hamas people. So this is the situation, not too much love lost, but they both want to see us dead. Right. And when we talk about the innocence and it and yeah, yes, there are innocents there. But when you're talking about uh, over 70 percent support of of a, a murderous ideology it, the world needs to wake up and, and see what's going on well that's why when when uh whoever i forget their names now these world leaders but they're in every country uh they say you know israel needs to set up a two-state solution 
Uh, and not only that, but the two-state solution needs to have both Gaza and the West Bank with a bridge between them. Now, both Gaza and the West Bank are ruled by people who want to see us dead. Mm -hmm. I've just written some articles explaining it's not just Hamas where it's in its charter, but it's in the Palestinian Authority where it's in its charter. And, uh, and they're on record. So it's not a secret here. But what's been happening is people don't give a darn. They just say, we want you to be quiet so that we can have a, a quiet Middle East so we can work out our uh, Machiavellian schemes in the East between Saudi Arabia and Iran. So America gives money to Iran. But wait a second, they're supporting Saudi Arabia. So what's happening? Why are they supporting both sides? There's more to it than meets the eye, and I'm not talking conspiratorially. I'm talking just the fact that superpowers like to play games in order to get people fighting with each other so that they can be in charge. It's as old as the hills, and it's continuing in our day. So here we have Israel facing off and being, as it were, the tripwire for jihad uh, and fighting jihad for the world, and the world doesn't really care. The world also has an attitude problem toward the Jewish people. When we're victims, it's wonderful. But when we fight back and win, all of a sudden we have to be reined in. And that's where we are. Yeah, so we have a situation where it's like uh, uh, this this wife is being beaten by this by this horrible man. And the neighbors, every now and then, they get a little concerned because she's looking really terrible, worse than normal. And so they go give the the husband a talking to, um, but uh, they won't have him removed because that's not an option. Um, if for some reason they have to keep him there, um, and however he's wheeled and dealed uh, to do that. Um, but you know, you know, just don't don't hit her so hard next time, and and we're kind of going to be okay. But it seems that there are many people now, especially in Israel, that see no, we have to eradicate Hamas. Yeah. Um, if is that possible? Could, sure. It, well, there's two questions here. If people could actually see uh, the films that Hamas took on their GoPros as they did these terrible things, they would be in such a state of shock that the whole nature of the debate would change. That's the first thing. But, and, but politicians, many politicians have seen, they've, they've had showings, uh, not only in Israel, but in other places. So there's no reason for the Bidens and the Trudeaus and, and, and et cetera to really know what what we're dealing with here, and not only dealing Israel's dealing with, but what wants to come for everybody else too. So there's a verse in Jeremiah 30, verse 17, and it says, oh, it's only Zion, who cares for her? And I think this statement where God judges the nations and says, I'm furious with you, and it goes also in Isaiah 59. He says, I looked around to see, is there anybody who cares for Israel who's seeking their welfare? No, none of them. So I got angry, he says, and I was full of wrath and I have vengeance on my heart and I put on my helmet. It's like Ephesians 6 and I get my shield and I get my sword and I get out there like a like a, a ravaging wind to take out my enemies. So the thing is, basically here, we're in a kind of a hiatus hernia situation whereby uh, the nations are saying, yeah, we're for you, but, you know, you can handle it. And the issue is they would never allow that to happen. Mexico coming into America, America coming into Canada. I don't know what Canada would do, but that's a different issue. 
Uh, that's a Canadian joke again. I keep. But, but, but the thing joke. is, you, you mentioned, oh, uh, we'll let you handle it, handle it. But the countries of the world aren't going to let Israel handle it. Right. And this is what happens. And eventually, you know, there's a certain comfort to me and it's black humor, but it's true. Yeah, that's your that's the warning. OK, Avner, go yeah. for it. Zechariah 14 talks about the nations invading Israel and Jerusalem to divide the city militarily, which indicates up to that point, they haven't managed to do it. So that's something to hold on to. Uh, we're going to hold on for some time against the world, but eventually it's going to come to fighting the world. And that in, Ze in the Zechariah 14 is the reason Yeshua returns. He says, when the nations come against Jerusalem and do these things, I get on my sword, I get on my shield, and I'm going to come out burning in wrath and fight all the nations. That's where we're heading. That's where it's going to go. It's not there yet. But the players, it's kind of like hockey night in Canada, you know, or wrestling in Canada. This is where it's going. Yeah, and it's interesting. I know like maybe there's people out there that think they understand God's time clock and all the rest. I do get the impression that the way things often work is it is it comes around to something, it gets really hot, then it subsides, then it comes around again, then it comes around bigger and bigger until it finally explodes. And it's just a question of, you know, which time around are we are we this time? Um there's still there you know, we there's there's precious people involved. There are innocents involved. Does anybody know what's going to happen now with the way the 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 U.S. is 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 playing this out? The pressure that's coming on Israel. I've I've already kind of asked this question, but what's going to happen right now? So if you take the amount of Palestinians in Gaza, and then you take seventy five percent of them, you're getting like two million people who are kind of against israel in so, gaza alone yeah in gaza alone and the same thing would be true in the west bank so how are we supposed to deal with that well <clears throat> let's say i were an egyptian and i really wanted to help then i would say hey we're opening our doors we'll let you get out of the way so that israel can take care of hamas now what is hamas to egypt hamas is morsi it's muslim brotherhood they they threw they put Hosni Mubarak in jail. Now, some of the reasons probably were because of corruption, etc. But they put him in jail because he was not sufficiently jihadi. Okay? And that's what they said. And that's what they did. So, right now, Al-Sisi in Egypt doesn't want Palestinians in because they're working with his enemies. So, he says, no, no, I, I want to hold on to your connection with the land. That's a, a bunch of malarkey. He doesn't want them in because he doesn't care about their suffering. The same thing with Jordan, the same thing with all these other countries. They don't care. Abba Eben, the famous uh, Israeli ambassador to the UN, and said uh, the Arab world is prepared to fight Israel to the last Palestinian. And that's kind of Did what we say doing. Palestinian back then? Uh-huh. Okay. Uh -huh. Yeah. Okay. And the, the point behind it is that uh the Palestinians are not there. It's a very, it's a whole lecture issue. We can get into a whole lecture on that, uh, what's going on here. But they don't care uh, about the issue. And Hamas, of course, doesn't care either because they're actually, they want a high body count so that they can get the sympathy and anger of the world directed against Israel. 
That's their goal. They've done it 15 times already. This is nothing new. It's the same strategy. And the world media is totally like what Lenin would call the useful idiots who stood up and helped communism to take over the countries of the Baltics and, and uh, Germany as well. That's where we are. So we have a situation where uh, Israel is is just in going after this this murderous this murderous group called Hamas to seek to eradicate them. Uh, but Hamas is set it up in such a way that they're going to bring the, the Gazans down with them. It's like Hitler in his bunker in Berlin. Right, so it's it's the same sort of thing. So um, then you have the other nations of the world saying, no, 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 that you can't do that. And so they would want to throw cold water in the whole situation. But if the will in Israel continues where it is, Israel's not going to accept that. And it's, there's not going to be a stalemate. It's not going to be a stalemate because Israel's not going to take this lying down. Right. And I think what we're talking about is if it, if it, uh, went on steroids in that direction, then we're in the middle of Zechariah 14. And if we don't, if we move slowly, we will be <laughs> Zechariah 14. There's an American joke in the state of Washington. It says, if you can't see Mount Rainier, it's raining. And if you can see Mount Rainier, it means it will be raining. <laughs> so that's kind of what we're dealing with here. Yeah, this is a coming, you know, preview of coming attractions. And, uh, it's a uh, Psalm 83, but not quite. It's Ezekiel 38 and 39, but not quite. So I've been reading about uh, how the popularity of Hamas has been growing in the West Bank. And I totally, what's totally. we haven't had elections in the West Bank in 14 years. One man, one vote, one time. So the Palestinian Authority doesn't want Hamas uh, to be uh, given the choice to be elected because they will lose and Hamas will come in. Was there any chance they'll start fighting among themselves and give well, Israel a break? They, well, they already just, are. Just three days ago, two or three people who worked for the Palestinian Authority were lynched, beaten, and their bodies were put up on electric fences, but that didn't work so well, so they were kind of dragged through the streets. Uh, and this was Hamas people. This is in Tokarab. That's under Palestinian Authority control. Oh, so no are you going to see all this anti-Hamas protests happening all over the world as a result? <laughs> it's really, people don't understand what's going on. He just said no. They don't understand uh, what's going on um, within the Islamic community and within the Arab community. At this point, there's many wars in the Arab community and the Arab world, and none of them have to do with Israel. But uh, it's always because of Israel. There's an old Warsaw ghetto joke. I'll tell you this because it's funny and it's very black humor. These two Jewish people fighting against the Nazis in 44, uh, they're hauled out from the tunnels underneath the Warsaw ghetto and they're put up in front of a firing squad. And of course, it's a joke, so it's not really true because in real life, they wouldn't be asked. But the, the commandant says, you have any last requests? And the first guy says, yeah, I'd like a cigarette. The second guy says, for God's sake, don't make trouble. And the joke is, of course, it doesn't matter whether you make trouble or not, you're dead. Right. Right. And so this whole concept of that's where we're going. That's what's happening in the Arab world. That's what's happening in the Muslim world. 
And people in the West think it's Victoria, you know, BC, and it's time for tea in the afternoon, and then we'll look at the flowers. It's not like that at all, you know? Yeah, as, yeah. One, one of the things that this whole, this past couple of months have, have brought to my attention is, is, is the evil that's, that's in, it's in the world. And it, it's a real thing, and we pretend it's not there. Um, but if it isn't right in our face now, it's going to be in our face in a moment, and we're going to pay for our neglect of taking life as seriously as we should. Let me give you a personal example of something that happened just two hours ago. Oh, I thought you were going to say something personal about me, but go <laughs> ahead. <laughs> uh, my wife and I, Rachel, we went to pick up some chairs, plastic chairs that we had left at a uh, retirement home where soldiers were getting billeted. Uh, because they needed to uh, be there in preparation for going into Gaza. So they said, can anyone help us with chairs? We don't have the ability to sit on chairs while we're eating our, our supper. So we brought over a bunch of chairs, which have since disappeared, but that's a different issue. So I'm waiting to pick up the chairs, and all of a sudden this truck goes by, and somebody jumps out and says, Avner, how are you doing? So who is it? It's one of the closest friends of my fourth son. Uh, and now, again, they're, you know, in their early 30s. This guy uh, was a total peacenik, new age, uh, spends all his time uh, collecting, you know, homeless dogs and growing all kinds of plants, which do all kinds of things. And total hippie. Yeah, we don't use that word today. And he changed. He said, October 7th, I used to be a peacenik. I'm not a peacenik anymore. These people want to kill us. We have no choice. He said, I'm never leaving Israel again. You know, well, as I, opposed I remember, to his... so I remember somebody early on saying, why were those, why were Israelis living so close to the Gaza uh, border like that? Like that was just so like, kind of, of course, something bad was going to happen to them. But and I also didn't, I didn't have an answer, have an answer later. And that was their people, Israelis, ideologically committed to peace and were there on purpose because they believed in in the goodness of all human beings and that over time by being nice just by being nice like that's our they must have borrowed that from canada by canada. being nice it would move the hearts of 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 the palestinians to love them and they'd hold hands and sing kumbaya one day you know, it's, it's interesting if you look at the news in gaza Israeli soldiers go into the area in Gaza, and what do they find? Well, I knew this as a historian and a tour guide, but they found a Jewish synagogue from the thriving Jewish community in Gaza in the 400s AD, when there were no Arabs living in Gaza at all. Okay. So what does that mean? What that does that mean? Those, those who have settled in Gaza are squatters who came in through jihad. And if God decides that his promises given to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are stronger than the promises Muhammad gave through jihad, we have a battle on our hands. Mm. And that's what we're dealing with. So I'd like just to change the, the subtopic a little bit. Um, what was it like in Israel to go through the, um, the return of the hostages that were returned? Well, you know, this is interesting, and this is, uh, you know, uh, laden with happiness and tears from sunrise, sunset, and Fiddler on the Roof. We have approximately uh, 130 people still under Hamas control. Some of those are dead. Some of those are corpses. Some of those are getting tortured and raped and beaten. 
they're all getting starved. Uh, and uh, when Hamas, it's kind of like you're negotiating with Adolf Hitler. You know, it, that's what's going on. The people they wanted released are all people who've been convicted of terrorist crimes. Who do they want to trade for them? 10-month-old kids in diapers. So this is a total terrible situation. So when, uh, and Hamas, again, when you go into the Middle East, you go into something called the souk or the shuk, which is the market, and everything is bargaining. And so they are master bargainers. And they basically said, you know, you, uh, we got a thousand soldiers for one soldier in the previous deal we had with Gilad Shalit. And Israel said, okay, so we'll keep bombing you. And then after a week, they came back and said, I think we're ready to talk. And they were willing to do three Hamas terrorists in exchange for one baby or teenager or pensioner, right? And uh, so when those trades happened, at the last minute, Hamas says, oh, we can't find somebody. Or, oh, Israel violated the ceasefire. It's, it's a standard thing. And it makes headlines and people say, oh, what did Israel do? It has nothing to do with Israel. This is the Middle East. This is the way it works. And uh, so we got uh, up to the whole concept is here, women and children, they're more tender. Uh, but we're going to ask for a lot more in terms of release of heavy terrorists for any 18-year-old or older young man or young woman. And uh, any Israeli, even up to the age of 80, has once been a soldier. So we're going to ask for many hundreds of terrorists in exchange for either the dead body. We don't care if it's a dead body of the Jew. Period. So, yes, Israelis were very excited. Hamas used it to say, now, we wave friendly. You know, they said to the hostages, wave to the cameras because we have a gun here and we're going to shoot you or your husband's still a hostage here and we'll kill him. And so the whole thing was a terror situation. It's kind of like Saddam Hussein ruffling the, the blonde hair of that little kid in 1991, just before the Gulf War, the British kid who was a hostage. It's, it's a very cruel situation. But Israelis are very happy for the fact that something like 84 Israelis were returned and about 25 other people from Russia and Thailand and stuff. But there's still right now uh, 130 people. We don't know how many of them are alive. We don't, you know, we've been getting reports from hostages coming out of the most horrific torture and rape and beating going on. And so it's not, it's not going well. And Israelis know that. And there's going to be, how do they say hell to pay in this situation? But it's, this is war, you know? This is kind of like the Nazi atrocities in liturgy in Czech, if you know Czechoslovakian history. It's the same type of thing. Yeah, it's. I wonder if for a lot of people, the average average onlooker just cannot fathom the dynamics of uh, of Israel being willing to to trade terrorists for a for a a toddler. And why would they, and almost like well why would they do that? There must be something really wrong. There must be things they're not telling us for them to to do that sort of thing. And then you go well, back. We care and, about life. We care about human life. Yeah. That's what it is. There was a report of the Hamas people coming to the kibbutzim. They were shooting dogs. There was a report three days ago of a pup, a high, uh, a, a, a hyena pup 
that was found with broken pelvis, broken legs. And this Israeli uh, special officer, special operations guy, wrapped him in a ceramic vest, took him in, took him to a vet, got him uh, uh, operated on for four and a half hours, and he's going to be all right. It's a totally different perspective. You know, Hamas themselves say, we love death the way you love life. Because in their perspective, to die and to be killed, trying to kill uh, uh, those opposed to jihad, that's a wonderful thing. You know, this whole thing of, you know, 72 virgins and 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 all that stuff. And uh, yeah. yeah, so it's yeah. really hard. Most people in the West don't understand that. Yeah, yeah. So I have a couple more topics I, I hope we have time for. We'll see how it goes. Yes, so um, over the past couple of months, I've been really challenged to rethink a lot of my assumptions. And many of them I didn't know that I had. And and uh, you really helped in our time a couple of months ago, uh, challenging me to rethink certain things for which I'm actually quite grateful. I'm not under duress to say that. I really do. I really do believe that. Um, and um, it was the whole thing has been a, a wake up call uh, for me. And I'm glad for many others. Um, one of the things I've seen in, from some of our Christian friends is they they put a lot of onus on who the Arabs are, who the Muslims are, and the supposed connection to uh, Ishmael and Abraham. And um, you and I have had some centrism questions about that. I've read uh, your book. I think I finished it. Um, and I and I do recommend it uh, to people to get some of that. But could you briefly explain this whole thing? Are the Arabs, are Muslims uh, descended from the sons of Ishmael? Is, is, is there any basis to, to saying such a thing? British people uh, basically saw Greenwich and London as the main point in the world. So Greenwich, meantime, is how everybody besides time i can't wait then to find say, out how he gets from greenwich mean time to answer my question so stay tuned it'll, it'll take 12 seconds so if london is the center then the near east is israel and the far east is china it's all in relationship to london and so this concept okay. then of how to understand the middle east well it's obvious that washington or london is the center of it all right and that's and that's not true um so now that i've told this great story i need to remember remind me again of your question about the sons um, of ishmael yes sons of ishmael okay so there's this romanticism coming out of britain which has gone into american scholarship and that is the whole middle east is all the sons of ishmael and it's all uh, sons of abraham i have a book right over here written by sir john pack uh, baggett glub who was known as glub pasha British uh, general who helped to uh, fight with Jordan against Israel in 48. And he talks about living with the Bedouin and the Bedouin, Abraham was a donkey Bedouin and all this stuff. And so the whole picture has been created, not based on the scripture, but based on British romanticism, that all the Arabs are from Abraham. And therefore, it's just a family feud between Isaac and Ishmael. But the Bible doesn't say that at all. If you read the Bible carefully, you see that Ishmael totally passes off the scene and barely doesn't come back at any time except for 
a short appearance in Psalm 83 where they're trying to kill Israel. But basically, Ishmael's off the scene. Ishmael is not a covenant child. Esau was not a covenant child. So if one looks at jihad, and it's so important to understand this because jihad changed the Middle East. You had people coming out from Saudi Arabia. We call it today Arabia. It used to be called Arabia Felix. The Romans called it Happy Arabia because they had this romanticism that the people lived in the desert were really happy. They didn't pay taxes. They ate sand. You know, everything is wonderful. But what happened is when the jihadi forces came out with the point of the sword, they went through North Africa through a hundred different ethnic groups. None of them were Arabs, none of them were from Ishmael, none of them were from Abraham. And they said, convert or die, and you need to speak Arabic, and you need to bow down to Mecca. And they did. So St. Augustine, who was a Berber, his people now, you say they're all Arabs, but they were never Arabs. It's Tunisia and Libya. So Morocco, Algeria, everything in North Africa, no Arabs. So what's an Arab? An Arab is defined, uh, you have to go back to 800, but an Arab comes from the Hebrew word for Arava, means someone who lives in a salty a desert area. It's not a national thing, it's where you live. When you live in a, in a hard area, you're an Arab. And so there's a difference described between the Arabs and the sons of Ishmael and the Arameans going back to 800 BC uh, in a, uh, a victory steel or a monument uh, going to the Assyrians. So they're not the same thing. So who is descended from Abraham? Well, here's who's not. The Egyptians in the Bible are from Ham. Ham is not Shem. Okay. The uh, the Sudanians uh, are what you call, you know, Put uh, and uh, uh, and uh, and uh, in any case, the Jordanians. The Jordanians. You have uh, the people who are Aram. Okay, in Syria, the people who are Ammon, they're not from Abraham. They're a cousin of Abraham, but they're not from Abraham. The Syrians are Aram. They're not from Abraham at all. La, uh, uh, Laban was living there, Aram Naharaim, but they're not from. They're from Shem, but they're not from Abraham. The the Lebanese are Phoenicians. They're from Ham. They're not from Abraham. The Iraqis. A little bit from Abraham, but mostly uh, from a little bit from Abraham, a little bit, but mostly not. The Iranians, not Semitic at all. Uh, so when we start looking who's who in the Middle East, nearly nobody is descended from Abraham. One big example is the Abraham Accords. The Abraham Accords, United Arab Emirates, they say in their history, we're not descended from Abraham. We're descended from Shem. So why is it called the Abraham Accords? Well, the Jews are descended from Abraham, but it goes over well with North American evangelicals. So if it's not an Ishmael issue, the Ishmaelites were in one area of southern Arabia, also Hamite, Hamites as well. So the Ishmaelites who came as the Bedouin with the jihadis, they came over the whole Middle East. So they washed their seed over the whole Middle East, but 98% of what's going on is not from them. It's all other nations. But all of a sudden, these nations forget their languages. They forget their religions. They speak Arabic. They worship toward Mecca. And they call themselves Arabs. But they're not Arabs. And uh, so this isn't a, a big thing. Uh, there's somebody whose name I forget in Canada who's talking about Isaiah 19 and the issue of 
peace and 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 a great wonderful thing here and, and oh, the Egypt highway and, and, the highway between right. Egypt and Assyria and all that right well Egypt in the Bible is not from uh, Abraham and Assyria in the Bible is not from Abraham it predates Abraham so we're and and what it says in that passage is that there's going to be fighting between Egypt and Israel and the Egyptians are going to be scared spitless about Israel and usually that's left out because they just want to focus on how wonderful it is. But because they don't know Hebrew, they don't know that it says there, Israel will be the blessing to Assyria and Egypt. Not Assyria and Egypt and Israel are a blessing together, but Israel is the blessing between the two of them. But hey, we're in small potatoes days, people don't know Hebrew, and so they can say what they want and no one else knows. So it's important if we're going to understand what's going on in the Middle East, we start with Psalm 83. We start we start with Ezekiel 38 and 39. These are war passages. We're not in the days of peace right now. Uh, I wish it were so. Uh, and of course, when God is going to judge human hearts, there are also Jewish hearts he has to deal with. And many of our Jewish hearts are not in such a good condition. So I'm not saying this. Because everybody else is against us, I'm not saying, therefore, that justifies everything that we are. But God has this incredible word for us, and the word is chesed. And that means covenant faithfulness, often translated loving kindness. It means that God never forgets a promise, and he loves us. And so he's going to do everything he's promised, even if it means he has to drag us through some things. So that's the other yep. side of it. Which too. is something that we uh, remember at Hanukkah time, and Hanukkah begins this year, this coming Thursday evening. Um, yep. How is Hanukkah going to be different in Israel this year? Oh, well, you know, that's interesting. And you could have a full hour lecture on how Hanukkah has been uh, understood since the rise of the Jewish state. Um, in uh, the way you and I were raised in Montreal, uh, Hanukkah involved little dreidels or tops, and potato pancakes and singing songs and lighting candles. Um, dreidels. I used to, oh, you said dreidels. You said spinning tops. Yeah. But there was a Yiddish song where it said, you know, oh, there used to be a time when Jews fought. Could it ever happen again? I used to so, sing this. Sorry, say that again. Say that again. There used to be a time when Jews fought in one war. As, Could it ever happen again? Okay. This was this Yiddish song. And uh, here we have Jews now fighting and winning. And so the whole issue of the Maccabees became something like the Jewish Olympics today are called the Maccabee Games, based on, hey, we are muscular, we fight, we win. Yeah, a lot of people die. don't know how the, the whole Jewish psyche after this, the second Jewish revolt in the, uh, in the second century resulted in a, a whole redo of the Jewish psyche where uh, instead of David and Goliath and the Maccabees and this sort of thing, you ended up with the the studying of Torah was the, the highest value and the, the elderly stooped man because he would be spending all of his time over the Torah scrolls and that was the highest. And the idea of actually uh, taking on our enemies, that was just folklore. We were a crushed people. Right. And either the Roman Catholic Church or the Greek Orthodox Church or the Russian Orthodox Church or the Islamic religion were conquering us and treating us as second-class people. And so what happens in 1948, finally, is we come back and we have an army for the first time in 2,000 years. And that's dangerous 
because if Jews fight, they might end up becoming a stronger power here, and that might get in the way of what we want to do in the Middle East. And so that's also what's happening. So Hanukkah for us here in Israel is about the Jews who fought and won. Uh, the rabbis didn't like the Maccabees because the Maccabees were not uh, from David. So they couldn't be kings, but they made themselves kings. And then even though they were a revival movement at the time, they ended up uh, becoming the strongest force for assimilization uh, and Hellenization within 50 years after they became kings. And we so don't tell the, that. We don't tell that part of the story, Avner. No, and so the Pharisees basically said, "We don't want to give them any credit. Let's focus on something else." And 200 years later, they said, "Hey, there was a miracle with eight days of candles and this. It's nothing historical. It's not found historically." But what they did is they focused it now today. All Jews light and say the miracle of the eight candles and this and that. Um, I've written newsletters about that. You can read that on our website if you want. Uh, davidstent.org. You can just type in Hanukkah, one of the seven ways you spell it, and, and you can find some newsletters there. But yeah, so with Israel, it's more of either the rabbinic miracle, which never happened, or look at the Maccabees as those who fought for what's right. Yeah, I, I'm not looking surprised about the story of the miracle because I tell, I explain this to people all the time, that the real yeah. miracle of Hanukkah is how the, the weak overcame the strong and the few overcame the many. And that's actually, there's a famous uh, uh, Jewish prayer that refers to that. That's right. That's right. And but uh, Okay, so one of the things, I guess, first of all, that I didn't fully get until you explained be, it. Can I, can I historically say it would be like Canada saying we defeated America? It would be the like, week, oh, week, if that should happen. That's the War of 1812. That's our Hanukkah story. <laughs> Look it up, folks. But it wasn't Canada yet. It gets a little confusing. But still, um, uh, where am I? So one of the things I, I didn't really connect with is the fact that when you're in Israel celebrating Hanukkah, you're now in a in a, a place where being Jewish is connected to having a victorious army again, like we did in the Maccabean times, as opposed to the most of the two thousand years of of being in exile where we were subdued and oppressed. That's right. Um, and like so does Hanukkah history. then, does Hanukkah take on a, a sense of encouragement and victory? Yes. Yes, it does. And also Ezekiel 37, because I think the Maccabees are a prefiguring of the great army in Ezekiel 37. For those Jewish people who know the top, the dreidel, uh, in in North America, you say, Neskadol Hayasham, a mighty miracle happened there. In Israel, we say, Neskadol Hayapo, a mighty miracle happened here. So. It's kind of like not on a hill far away. Yeah, it's right there. Yeah, I actually, when I was in Israel, I bought what we call a Poe dreidel. I always wanted one because the dreidels in Israel, of course, they say a great miracle happened here. And I was waiting on the airplane to see if the if it would change back to there. After <laughs> It didn't happen. It still says Poe. And may great miracles happen here, too, in Canada's capital. Amen. Oh man, yeah. I have a great pun, but I'm going to save it for another time. Oh, thank you. I, I appreciate that, maybe. Um, <laughs> so, anyway, uh, 
That's really helpful. And if people haven't seen the Maccabees' latest res, uh, release that came out today, their, their new Hanukkah song, it's very touching. It's very relevant. And I understand it better now. It's called something like We Are Still Here. And it's a bit of a take on Am Yisrael High, the people of Israel live. And uh, it's it's very, very powerful. And when, one of the things that we've been seeing so much of that the world doesn't doesn't get is is how, and you mentioned it about the value for life. And so when we get together and we grieve over all that's happening, there's no hate in our midst. There's thankfulness that we're alive, and that we're still here. And we do long, we long for peace, real peace, not the peace that just kind of like keeps the barking vicious dog at the door a little longer, as long as he doesn't get into the house sort of idea. We want a peace that's going to last, but, but, um, Israelis, Jewish people around the world want to see a, a, a true peaceful resolve to, to what's been going on, true justice, we, uh, and, the, and the world doesn't seem to get it. Right. And I think, you know, a lot of people in Israel didn't get it because 70, 80 percent of Israelis don't go to synagogue and they don't necessarily believe what's going on. So they don't look at spiritual issues as that significant. So they don't look at Islam as that significant. And so they say, well, these are just primitive people who believe weird things. But now they realize, no, this is an actual security threat to our existence. And it's connected to Iran, which is developing nuclear weapons, and uh, Hezbollah, which has 150,000 missiles aimed at us, and Syria, which has chemical warfare aimed at us, etc. So for many Israelis, it's a huge wake-up call at this season. It's so, you know, sitting here, I've been hearing about the, the missiles in, in Lebanon, and we've been hearing about the threat of Iran and the U.S. giving them money and what that means for Israel. And it's really, it's difficult for me to see how only now this high percentage of Israelis are waking up, even though it was right there. Because we're secular, and we assume that we live in the best of all possible worlds and the human heart really is logical and wants what's best. And so everything is going to work out somehow. And it's really something, Avner, it seems to me, just you putting it that way, how many of our Christian friends who claim to believe the Bible actually look at Israel through secular eyes? Totally. And that's one of the reasons why they don't get what's going on. God is offending the world by restoring the Jews because it's been a, a an act of uh, confessional faith that God will never restore the Jews. And it creates a lot of problems, because if they're coming back, we need to get permission from every other country in the neighborhood for them to come back. And God says, you know something? I don't care. Yeah. He will get his way. Earlier the better, as far as I'm concerned. Amen. And hopefully uh, with our repentance as fast as possible. Yes, yes. May it be soon, Lord. Um, remind people your website again. Yes, indeed. So it's very simple. It's David's Tent, no capitals, no apostrophes, www.davidstent.org. That's all it is. And you can be in touch with us, talk to us, sing to us. You can get our materials, you can get our newsletters. Uh, whatever you want. Yeah, and I do highly recommend, uh, people have been asking me where to get their news sources, and there's various ones, but uh, if you want to get uh, biblically-based, spiritually-sensitive, well-informed 
uh, perspective, sign up for Avatar's newsletter. And uh, as we were saying before we came on, uh, they've been coming out almost every day, like easily five times in the week. And that's not normal. We can go usually go weeks without seeing one. But uh, there's just so much going on. War is good for writing newsletters. Yeah. Yes. I'll I'll remember to quote you on that one. Well, Avner, thank you so much again for doing this and we'll stay in touch and uh, maybe we'll do this again soon and maybe during some happier times. Amen. As we say, no, only at happy times. Yeah. Amen. And to you and your family. Thank you. Amen. So again, if you'd like to contact Avner, you can do so through his website. And there you could also find his books and CDs and sign up for his newsletter. So his website is davidstent.org, davidstent, one word, dot org. And if you want to contact me, you could do so by emailing me at comments at thinkingbiblically.org. Also, you can put comments in the comment section. Uh, And if you haven't done so already, please remember to subscribe and also share and like and review and all those good things. And so until next time, this is Alan Gilman with Thinking Biblically. (laughs) 